0: Please turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter six. Ephesians chapter six, we'll be reading just four short, small verses this morning. We're in the household codes that piggyback off of what Paul was saying in Ephesians chapter five, verse 21, that we are to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. I understand that not everyone here is a parent this morning, but at one point in your life, you have all been children. And Paul would have been addressing you at one point. And as a child, I'm sure you're familiar with the game uh, that's typically called the why game. It's when you say something to someone or you give a command to someone and they respond with, why? And you attempt to give them a reason and they just say, why? And the game can go on and on forever. And you realize after a while that it wasn't a game After all, and it sometimes ends with the words, because I said so, that's why. Maybe some of you played that game this morning. We have to go to church. Why do we have to go to church? Because I said so, that's why. Get dressed, let's go. Maybe that's how your morning went. I'm sure mine. my family did not do that. My children are very obedient and know exactly why they must go to church. But this morning, for all the children, here, Paul is going to play along with the why game. He will simply say that children must obey and honor their parents in the Lord. And because you're very inquisitive and you're just very curious, you're going to want to ask why. And Paul, I believe, gives us three very good reasons why we should obey and honor our parents in the Lord. And then he's going to turn his attention to those who are called to protect you and love you and care for you your parents and he will tell them how they should be treating you. And so overall the question that we're going to attempt to answer in two parts. I understand this is a very unpresbyterian formula. There's only two points, but under the first point there are three subpoints and so there's the trinity for you. We're going to attempt to answer the question how do children And parents order themselves in a way that honors jesus how do children and parents order themselves in a way that honors jesus let us read our four short verses this morning and then we'll pray beginning in verse one of chapter six children obey your parents in the lord for this is right honor your father and mother this is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. This is the word of God. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would open our ears and our hearts to hear the instructions that you have for families, Lord, so that we would live counterculturally in this world and live evangelistically in a way, Lord, that honors you and points people to you, Lord. I pray that the the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be pleasing and acceptable to you, O Lord, my Father, my Rock, and my Redeemer. Amen. So the question this morning is, how do children and parents order themselves in a way that honors Jesus? And Paul first says here, children. That is the very first word, children. And I wanna stop right here for a second because I think that it's important for us to understand a little bit about the way children were were viewed in ancient Rome. It is quite different from the way that we view children now in the modern world. First, they didn't have the developmental model that we have here in the West. There there weren't stages of uh, cognitive or emotional development or abilities. Lynn Kohick, who's a commentator on this passage, writes that the ancient world saw the child as a miniature adult. In need of strict discipline in order to grow straight. Plato basically viewed children as animals until they developed reason. Marcus Aurelius, who is, it's the quote in your bulletin at the beginning, when he was upset about a state of mind that he was in, he was trying to figure out why he was in that state of mind. He said to, he asked this question Whose soul inhabits me at the moment? A child's? A youth's? A woman's? A tyrant's? A dumb ox's? Or a wild beast's? Notice there how he couples women and children with wild beasts. It kind of gives you an idea of how elite society viewed women and children. Another reality is that children, in particular slave children, and there were a lot of slave children in those days, they were exploited in ways that I won't even mention but this was something that Greco-Roman culture accepted and it's found in much of the art and the literature that we have today children were not romanticized by any means they never came first nor did women nor slaves and yet here the very first thing that Paul says is children he mentions them he mentions them first So i don't want us to miss what is happening here with paul mentioning children first he is introducing the ethics and the morals of this new world that he has been explaining for us throughout ephesians and this was in and against the surrounding world and it was namely that children along with adults were made in the image of god and were worthy of dignity and respect so there's no doubt that we can Easily read this section and read past the fact that Paul mentions children first because we put children first in everything But to the ancient ear this would have perked up their ears. It may have even been a surprise I will say though that in the West we do tend to err on the opposite end of this we over Romanticize children in ways that could be very cult like maybe even idolatry I think of our circles, in particular, in Protestant Christianity. How rare is it that we see a person in leadership or a pastor that does not have children? If they don't have children, they're sometimes viewed, um, maybe suspiciously, if, if I could say that. I'm, I'm mainly just critiquing our own bubble here. And what happens in those cases is often Uh, People don't account for the fact that there are couples who have wanted to have children but have been unable to because of uh, genetics or biology. And if that is you, if that has been your situation, I do want to say that we do see you and we understand that there is a grief there and there is a sense of loss that you may feel uh, no one understands. And if that is you, we would love, the pastors would love to talk with you and pray with you. We're not grief counselors uh, by any means, but we would love to sit and discuss your story with you. On the other hand, there are those who have children and have put children over and above everything, even over and above their own marriages, to the point that it's idolatry. And some of these parents cannot even function in society if somehow their children aren't involved in one way and if this is you we would also love to speak with you because as tends to be the case children do grow and leave the home and if children have been your everything there will be a go- a hole that is left there that we would love to pray with you about but Paul here in this passage he does give us the proper place Of children in the home children have worth and they have dignity they are worthy of life and they are not to be the center or the authority in your homes rather it says there they must obey their parents so they are under authority even though they are have worth and dignity and they must follow children you must follow your parents instructions even and this is hard when you don't understand all the reasons for it. Now I'm sure uh, a lot of you do not like to hear this. I kind of see some children maybe rolling their eyes at me. As I'm saying, I'm just kidding, I don't see that. But I'm sure there are children here who may not like to hear that, that you have to obey your parents. And so here's where we're going to play the why game, right? Why must you obey your mommy and your daddy? The first thing that Paul tells us here is because you are in the Lord. You are in the Lord. This is a phrase that Paul uses throughout his letter in curio, which means in the Lord. He uses it in chapter 2, twice in chapter 4, once in chapter 5, and it refers to the fact that you have been brought into the family of God. And this remarkable claim is that children, as well as adults, are a part of this covenant community. This is why Jews circumcised children, or circumcised boys, I should say. It was a physical sign that they were a part of the community, and it is why Christians from the earliest days have baptized the children of one or more believing parents, to show physically, to demonstrate that children, along with adults, are a part of the covenant community, that they are in the Lord. It shows, if you, if you read uh, this first passage, that Paul is addressing children as if they are expected to be amongst the congregation. And he's not addressing them merely as attenders in the church. He's not addressing them simply as visitors in the church. He's addressing them as members of the church. Children who have their own relationship with the Lord, which, of course, baptism signifies. And as members of this body, they are to obey the other members that God has placed in authority over them in order that the body would function the way it was meant to. So why must you obey? Number one, because you are in the Lord. But why? Why must I obey just because we are in the Lord? This actually reminds me of the answer that I give or that I've heard someone else give to their children when they ask, why do I have to go to church? As I said, of course, my children have never asked that because they're angels. You all know that's not true because you, you've been around children before, and if that were true, I would have no material for the sermons. <laughs> but the, re- the answer that I give and the answer that I've heard my prof- one of my professors give before is you must go to church because you have been baptized. You are not simply an attender at church. You are not simply a visitor at church. You are a member of this body with all the rights and privileges of the children of God. And you have been sealed by promises that weren't made by you, as many hold with believer's baptism. It's when you come to faith, you make promises to God. No, and we believe that children have promises made to them. Not by them, but to them by God himself. And so my answer to children, other than my own, is that you go to church because you have been baptized and you are in the Lord. But secondly, that was a little digression, I apologize for that. But secondly, why must we go to church? Why must you obey your parents, I should say? The second question that, the second answer that Paul gives there is because it is right. You are in the Lord, and it is right. In other words, you know this in your heart. No one has to tell you that you must obey your parents. You know this to be the right thing to do. You know that this is what you should do. Obedience was then and is even now a universal virtue. And one of the signs that society was falling into moral chaos was when children were blatantly disobedient to their parents Frank Thielman says obedience to parents was basic to the functioning of society and the widespread neglect of this obvious principle of conduct was a sign of the moral chaos into which society had degenerated in the last days or in this evil age that Paul is referring to believing children however you should have nothing to do with that trend of being disobedient the way your friends may be disobedient, or the way the culture may be showing you that you should be disobedient. Your conduct with respect to your parents should match what everyone has always recognized to be right. In other words, obedience is part of natural law. Even chicks obey their mommy hens. Right? Animals display this. It is part of natural law. Every society, from Greeks to Romans to Asian cultures in the East, have always taught that obedience to parents was essential to a stable society. Now, the differences are that in Roman society, they demanded absolute and unlimited obedience to your parents. If you did not obey, you were worthy of death in these societies, and that was often carried out. However, Christianity The the revolutionary thing in Christianity was that you obey them in the Lord. You obey them always if they're asking you to do something that that goes along with God's word. Of course, if they were to ask you to do something that breaks one of God's commandments, you would not obey that because ultimately your responsibility is to the head of the body, which is Christ. So those are the two questions there. Why must children obey? Be, number one, because you are in the Lord. Why? Because it is right. But they ask one more time, as children always do, why though? Why must, why must I obey? Well, lastly, Paul says, because it is written in supernatural law. So it is because you are in the Lord, it is part of natural law, and it is part of supernatural law. And here he quotes the fifth commandment honor your father and your mother. Now, honor may sound very similar to obey, or, I mean, it could very sound, depending on who you are, may sound very different, actually, so I disregard what I'm saying there. But what honoring does, though, is it gives a fuller understanding of what obedience is. To honor someone is to hold them in such high regard that you want to obey them. You want to lift your parents to a position of the superstar of your home. If you would for a moment just imagine that you go to a supermarket, right? Maybe it's Trader Joe's, so you get your own little children's cart, right? Those little miniature ones that you can ride around with, and your parent tells you, hey, can you go to the the beverage aisle and grab, grab a drink for me? And so you go over there, and as you're grabbing a drink for your parent because you're being obedient, suddenly there walks down the aisle your favorite Uh, music star or your favorite movie star. Maybe it's, I don't know, Taylor Swift or Jake or whoever. I don't know who who we're listening to nowadays. One of the Jonas Brothers. And they're walking down the aisle, and they stop right next to you, and they point over your shoulder, and they say, Hey, could you, like, pass me that strawberry kombucha? And you, you wouldn't at that moment, right, to your favorite movie star or music star go... Uh do I have to? Like, I just came over here to grab one for myself. Do I have to grab one for you too? No, of course not. Because you hold them in such high regard, you would immediately grab that strawberry kombucha and say, here you go, Miss Taylor Swift, Miss, or Mr. Jonas, sir, here you go. You would do it immediately because you hold them in such high regard. How much more should you do that with those who God has placed over you in your home? They're the ones who God has placed there to care for you, to protect you, to provide for you, to give you the things that you need. They should be the superstars of your home. But I think Paul is reminding other members, other children in the congregation of something too, those who may be adulting in the congregation. That even if you have grown into adulthood and you feel like you are no longer a child, you're still under oblig- obligation to honor your father and mother. This is a commandment. He's reminding them that this is one of the Ten Commandments that, that was written into law, supernatural law, thousands of years even before this. And it's still applicable. But it's, it's the sad case that often, especially here in the West, We have found ways or developed ways to, instead of honoring our parents, to figure out ways to distance ourselves from them or to reject them or to push them away. But Jesus himself, as an adult, as he was hanging on the cross, made sure that his mother was taken care of. Even as he was held up on the cross, he still held up his mother with honor. And then Paul goes on to say and remind the listeners of the promises that are attached to this commandment. He says that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Now, this doesn't mean that everything is always going to go well for you, that you'll never experience any harshness or hardship in this world. But in a world, and especially the Roman world, where life could be very difficult for children, listening to your parents, those who were placed there to protect you, would mean that you had a much better chance of doing well and living long. Kohik also writes on this section that Paul is likely here speaking about the quality of life when he speaks of life going well. For when one acts in accordance with God's plan, one enjoys in the deepest sense God's favor. So those are the three reasons, the three Presbyterian points for us on why children must obey and lift up. Their parents, number one, it's because you are in the Lord. Number two, it's because it is natural law. And three, because it is supernatural law. And if you're doing this, you are living in a way that honors Jesus. You are living in a way that shows, Ephesians 5.21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. But now what about fathers? I'm sure the parents really enjoyed all that for now. But now what about you? What about fathers? Because that is who Paul turns his attention to next. Notice that he doesn't say fathers and mothers this time. This doesn't mean that mothers were less important. Rather, it's because in Roman society, the person with the greatest authority over children were fathers. But if fathers were being told that they had to do this, there is no doubt that mothers were expected to do this as well. And he exhorts the one in authority in the house, the one in authority over children, to basically tell them this, that you must not bring children low to a low point, as in the way the rest of Roman society is doing it, but rather you are to bring them up. You are not to bring children low, rather you are to bring them up. Notice the two things happening there. There is a negative exhortation and there is a positive exhortation both regarding the use of authority in the home provoking to anger is the negative exhortation it is the misuse of authority and i'm simply going to write what john i'm simply going to read what john stott wrote on this section i'm just going to read it for you it's convicting for me and i'm sure it can be very convicting for you, if you are a parent, or if you are a person who is in, who has authority over children in a, one capacity or another, John Stott writes: Parents can easily misuse their authority, either by irritating or making unreasonable demands, which make no allowances for the inexperience or immaturity of children, or they can misuse their authority by harshness. Or cruelty at one extreme or by favoritism and overindulgence on the other or they can misuse their authority by humiliating or suppressing their children that is trying to make them like you rather than realizing that God has gifted them and made them themselves or you can misuse your authority by those two vindictive weapons sarcasm and ridicule these are all ways that authority can be misused and children can be brought low or provoked to anger these are ways that parents can nurture and even multiply anger resentment and even hatred toward the world toward the things that god has made even towards the body of christ So parents and those under authority in the church, you must not misuse your authority in a way that brings children low. Instead, as Paul writes, here's the positive exhortation, you are to bring them up. Now this is a word that that has shown up before in the previous chapter, in chapter 5, verse 29, to bring a child up is the same word that's translated there as nourish or feed in 5:29, Paul is writing about the way that a husband is to show love to his wife, and he says, "Therefore, no one hates his own flesh, but nourishes it." That is the word there to to bring up, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. So the understanding here is that centuries before psychology, that children are in need of tenderness and the nourishing love. Of their parent they are to be brought up that way that is the way they grow in the way they were supposed to and how is this nourishing how is this nourishment shown here we read that it's through the discipline and the instruction of the Lord now these are two words that are very similar but refer to the way that training occurs in a home the first word there to discipline it does carry the idea of physical correction and guidance And the second word, instruction, is more of the verbal aspect of training. But these are both words that are like two sides of the same coin. And this coin is of the Lord in the end. And so it must be handled with with the most tenderness and, and the nourishment of the child in mind. Now parents, I think, often can err when it comes to the training of children, and I'm preaching to myself here. You know, I'm not above my own preaching, I should say that. On the one side, there is the the strict and harsh treatment and punishment of children. And on the other side, there is excessive permissiveness. In other words, no discipline whatsoever. And neither is biblical training. See, the opposite of wrong discipline or cruel discipline is not no discipline, it is true discipline. It is biblical correction. It is biblical instruction. I will say that when it comes to discipline, I know I'm running short on time here, but there are just some principles that I want to give, so maybe some guidelines that we can use, and really it's just two. That when we think about correcting a child or training up a child in the way they should go, if we are we think that they are near that, that disciplining stage, then there's one thing we should keep in mind, and I'll mention one more after that. Number one, when correcting a child, the punishment must always fit the crime. Right? It must be just punishment. For example, if a child accidentally spills milk or water, they are not deserving of a spanking. They're not deserving even of yelling at that moment. It is an accident. It isn't even a crime. What they need at that moment is the tenderness and the love of a, someone in authority who will come alongside them and explain to them consequences, things that you know cause and effect maybe, or even it's a time to show them how Jesus comes alongside and wipes away our messes, even when we don't deserve it. And there are tons of examples that we can give. Of course there's, there's different things to do in every sort of scenario that you can think of, but that's just a guiding principle. The punishment must fit the crime, and accidents are not crimes. The second thing that I would think about here, that I have thought about here, is are uh, in the words of Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. And he says that when you are disciplining a child, you should have, first, controlled yourself. Hmm. Ouch. What right have you to say to a child that he needs discipline when you obviously need it yourself? Self-control, the control of temper, is an essential prerequisite in the control of others. In other words, your motivation for the discipline must be clear, and it must be to raise a child up to the Lord. See, when you're disciplining with the wrong motivation, what you're doing is not only pointing to yourself, but you're making it about yourself. And what the child is in need of is for you to make it about Jesus. You are to raise them up to Christ. So how do parents order themselves in a way that honors Christ, They are not to bring children low, rather they are to raise them up. Now look, I myself am guilty of not doing all of this perfectly. And if you're a parent or will be a parent, you will also do this very imperfectly. Parents and children will sin against one another. And ultimately when we do that, We are sinning against the God who has given us this structure and who has made us to function together as the body of Christ. And when that happens, though, there is forgiveness. But there's only forgiveness if you are in the Lord. That's why Paul mentions here, in the Lord and of the Lord, because ultimately that is where forgiveness is found, and that is where love is found. And the responsibility of parents is to model that for children and one of the ways that parents can model that for children to show true authority and to show true leadership is by going back to chapter 5 verse 21 where it says submit to one another out of reverence for christ it means humbling yourself as as hard as that may be because of pride but telling to your child how you have wronged them and asking for their forgiveness and pointing them and raising them up to the Lord. I could fill hours, many sermons with just examples of the times that I've had to do that. But ultimately, that is what we're called to do as parents. Is it an easy task? No. But Paul's not telling us this because it's easy. It is a hard task because it is countercultural to what we've been told in society. There's a story of uh, two families who were in a supermarket. The first family was walking down the aisle, pushing the cart with her two kids, and one of the, one of the girls sees a chocolate that she really loves, and she grabs it off the shelf. And she says, Mommy, I want this. And her mom says, No, we're not getting that. She goes, throws it in the cart, Mommy, I want this. I want you to buy this for me now and she starts making a scene in the aisle. And the mother grabs her by the shoulder and says, Why are you making a scene? Completely ignoring the fact that she's making a scene herself. And she grabs the little girl by the arm and yanks her down the aisle to the checkout, and they both leave. The second family is walking down the aisle just a couple of hours later, and the little girl in that family, she sees the same chocolate and she loves that chocolate. I mean, who doesn't like chocolate? And she says, Mommy, can we have that? And the mommy says, you know, mommy who's on an inflation-type budget says, no, we can't afford it, we have to buy eggs. And so the mom, (laughs) the mom says, we can't afford the chocolate right now. And the little girl, of course, obviously upset because she really wants chocolate. She just says, okay, mommy. She doesn't understand all the budgeting or all the financial stuff that goes behind her mom's grocery budget, but she trusts her mommy, and so she obeys her mommy. And the mom, who's, who sees that her little girl is upset, she kneels down in front of her, looks her right at eye level, and she says, I understand that you really wanted that. And I see that it made you sad that we couldn't get it. But how about we plan for next month and, and try to save up money so that we can buy you the chocolate that you want. And the little girl says, okay, mommy. And the mom says, I wanna thank you for obeying me and honoring me. It really shows that you honor Jesus. And they start walking out the aisle and the manager who sees this, he comes up to them as they're checking out and he has the chocolate in his hand. And of course, he asks for permission before he hands the child chocolate. He asks the parent if it's okay and the mommy says, yeah, of course, that's, that's great, thank you. And the little girl, and he, he says to the, the family, you know, I've, I've looked at a lot of families today walking through here, and I have to say, I'm really impressed by how obedient your children were and how you spoke to your child. And the little girl says, do you want to know why we obeyed our mommy? He says, yeah, of course, I'd love to know. And she says, "Because it's because we love Jesus. And this starts a conversation that eventually leads to that store manager visiting their church. Now, this, this story simply demonstrates how ordering your life in a way that shows reverence to Christ stands out in this modern world, as it did in the first century as well. And Christians are called to live this way. Is it hard? Yes. But we do it out of reverence for Christ. So ultimately, how do parents, or how do families, I should say, order themselves in a way that shows reverence for Christ, that fulfills chapter 5, verse 21? Children, you obey and honor. You lift up your parents. And parents, you raise up your children to the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that you have structured families in such a way that ultimately glorifies you. Lord, we know it's very easy to to try to make this about us, Lord, and to show the ways that we are great and the way our children are great, Lord. We elevate children so easily, Lord. But Father, you have given us the the proper place of children in your word, and I pray, Lord, that as parents or even those who are here who are... Uh, still have authority over children as being part of this great body. Father, that they would raise up children in a way that honors you. In your name we pray. Amen.